Let's talk to the Courier Mail's Robert Crash Craddock after a massive weekend in sport. How are you, Crash? Yeah, it, uh, great, doggy. It was um, Paul. It was yeah. The, the the Masters was captivating, wasn't it? It was uh, he was just a machine on the last mm. day, wasn't he, John Rahm? We were all waiting for the for the, the you know the 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 real hot blooded acidic duel between him and Brooks Kepka, but. Uh, I felt the slow play got to Kepka and he just overcooked and, and just lost his rhythm and his radar. And it's very underrated, I reckon, the, the, what real slow play does to a competitive golfer. Ram handled it, Kep, Kepka didn't. It's funny, they say uh, a fast player very rarely gets to play at his pace, whereas a slow player always does. Yeah, and that's the thing. Patrick Cantlay was embarrassingly slow. I mean, as you say, do the maths. You know, more than five hours when you hit, you know, seventy-five shots. That that that's incredible. Uh, how how slow and poor it is. And it, it is right what Wayne just said. I, I looked it up. Uh, a fourteen-year-old Chinese amateur got got the last person to gust to go uh, doctor shot for slow pie back in two thousand thirteen. Gee, they can jump on a never invited back. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that taught the professional golfers a lesson, didn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Watch hey. it. We're we're looking at you. <laughs> and he hasn't been seen since. <laughs> Underrated and overrated, Crasher. What have you got for us? Underrated, I've got a horse this week, one I'm going to watch so closely because I think it could be a bit special. It's Kelly Sweeter's Ring of Steel, which bolted in at uh, Ipswich last week. Now, I'm hearing Kelly thinks this horse is very, very special. And uh, you know when a bloke like Kelly thinks something is special, there's been whispers he's going to go out and get a new suit for the presentation, <laughs> get a special haircut and the eyebrows trimmed. You watch him. If you see him walking around the races, watch for the new Kelly. So I'm watching Ring of Steel. I put it up in my fridge. I've got a little alert in when it's next in. It's got a listed black type race in a couple of weeks. But that's my little one to follow for the winter. <laughs> and also, uh, Isaiah Katoa, the, uh, you know, the Dolphins half is, uh, for an 18 year old to come into a new club and start mm. his career. He speaks beautifully to the press. He's, you talk to him, you think he's 25. And he's had carnage around him with Sean O'Sullivan's issues being ruled out through it with a peck injury. Anthony Milford has uh, pulled his hamstring. And yet this kid's been wonderful. I thought what he's done for the Dolphins in their first month of competition has been extraordinary and really underrated. How, how long he can go for without getting a break, I don't know, but he's, wow, he's special. Crash, he's underplayed his hand for the first five rounds because he was that was his role. There was a senior mm. playmaker ahead of him. But he had to step up on Friday night because uh, the other one was Cody Nicarima. Who's, that, that, who's more of a utility player. And his kicking game was spot on, Crash. Yeah, he, he really, he's just a natural footballer. And you, and they did so well to get him. I mean, I can only think that uh, Sean O'Sullivan spoke to his dad, Peter, who's the uh, Dolphins recruiting man, and said, uh, when he was at Penrith, and said, wow, we've got this young kid who, who obviously was not going to get a game at Penrith uh, because of their well-established halves uh, combination of Luai and Cleary. So 
What a classically good signing, and um, he's been terrific. Just could be anything, that kid, and and he hasn't really starred for them per se, but as you say, Paul, I like the way he's servicing the team and slightly underplaying his hand because as a youngster, they often tend to snatch it and go the other way, but uh, he's uh, quite the player. It'd be fascinating to see, as you say, Crash, how Wayne Bell deals with him because it's... Just about inconceivable that a 19-year-old, if he stays fit, would play all the games. I mean, it's just too daunting, isn't it, in a, in a competition like the NRL? What do you what do you think he's going to do? Well, he's just got so few options uh, because you know he's obviously uh, with O'Sullivan out for three months with a pec injury, Milford doing his hamstring. The, the kid's just got to keep playing, um, and, and he does look up for it at the moment. Uh, mm. But Bennett's always had a theory that that you have to rest young players eventually. Like, even after five or six games, you've just got to give them a game off. And uh, he will try and do that. But I just can't see, you know, where... Is Albert Kelly going to come in there somewhere? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he, he does, you know, at some point... And, and then State of Origin hits, you might lose a couple more players. So... Um, yeah, it, it's it's the big question. Uh, one thing I guarantee you, I reckon he will get a rest somewhere. It, it, the season's too long to expose a teenage kid to the brutal realities of a half position in a developing team for the full 24 games. Crasher, that's your underrated. What about your overrated? Uh, Parramatta. <laughs> it's just, just because the Dolphins have changed the way I look at footy because they came from a standing start... Uh, in November, the year before last, when they hadn't signed one player. And if they can muscle their way into the top four in the competition, going... And the NRL, Paul, gave them nothing. They gave them no money. They gave them no favours, no free signings. And, and for them to just do so well, I'm marking these other teams quite harshly now. Parramatta has done nothing... It won nothing basically since 1986... They've got their own beautiful stadium. They've got one of the biggest junior nurseries in Sydney. And they're down at the foot of the ladder again. Yes, I know they beat the West Tigers yesterday, scrambled home. But, you know, just, gosh, there's some disappointing. There must be some teams looking at the Dolphins thinking, gee, that makes us look poor. I think you're spot on, Grash. I think, uh, and we spoke, remember you, you said... Four was the number of wins for the season. Or yeah, people yeah. were they're there yeah. now. We're not even into May. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I did. I think you had asked me twice, and one time I said five, and and yeah, and, and the second time I might have said six or four. I can't remember. But <laughs> but we we all collectively groaned, thinking, "Oh, they're too." And I got texts on my phone after that, Paul, saying, oh, "Where are they going to get those five <laughs> wins from?" You you tell me. Well, you know, they they've muscled up, and and Paul. Over the weekend, a couple of journalists have said, is this Wayne Bennett's greatest achievement as a coach? And I thought that was a terrific point to make because I know he won those five or six premierships with the Broncos and another one with the Dragons, but there was always this issue with the Broncos that people would say, yeah, 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 he's, he's a good coach, but he did have seven internationals playing for him. He did have Renoff in the centres, Alan Langer halfback, you know, and a beautiful array of forwards, you know, Andrew G, Glenn Lazarus, whereas this time he's had to pull them to the club to start with. 
and then he's got to meld them into a unit. They're the third best attacking team in the competition. I find that astounding. They're only 18 points behind the Broncos. Like, I, I, I get Paul. They're always going to defend like Tigers. That's just Bennett. But where did this attack come from? I, I'm staggered. And Crasher, as good a story as the Dolphins are, the Cowboys uh, are a worrying story if you're a Cowboys fan. They quickly went up the ladder last season. Uh, could they go down the ladder just as fast this season? What's the problem, do you think? Yeah, well, their defence has fallen apart. And if you said... Uh, well, here's another underrated. The departure of Tom Gilbert from the, Dol- from the Cowboys to the Dolphins, and he played against them the other night. Uh, you could say the hammer at fullback, but he wasn't really playing much fullback because Cot Drinkwater was there. But uh, I just think there's a certain spirit about that kid that has really gelled and electrified the Dolphins' pack. I mean, he's went to St. Pat's at, briefly at Sean Cliff. He's a local lad in that region. He was always going to be a target to bring him home. And he's in the absolute prime of his career. He was one of the few signings the Dolphins got who was just pitch perfect in the sweet spot in his career. But his passion, I, I think the Cowboys are missing it. They're, they're, they look old all of a sudden. You know, and they, and they, they've got a, long, a lot of long-serving players like Jake Granville, who's 34-ish, and uh, Kyle Feltz been there a long time. And, and, and just, I have to say it's surprising because mm. they were really going somewhere last season. They were up and about, desperate, hungry and scrapping. It's not happening this year. And may I say one last thing, Andrew? Mm. They're not overly kept that accountable in Townsville. They're allowed to get away without the ferocious scrutiny that the Broncos get in Brisbane, which sometimes it works for worse for a club, but it does keep them on their toes. I think Todd Payton summed it up, though, Crash, when he said a couple of weeks ago he was probably a little bit lenient in the off-season with players returning from the World Cup, and he was mindful that they were back. It was a shortened off-season. They're training there in the heat and the humidity, and I think Todd was sort of saying, we probably got it a little bit wrong, and they're underdone, and that lack of fitness is showing in their defence. Well, they had a massive representation across the board in the World Cup, didn't they? Um, and, 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 Paul, as boring as it sounds, and uh, the, the late, great Paul Malone always used to say this, that he said, we often hear players say, oh, I had a good off-season, that really helped me. And he said, it's the most boring quote you've ever heard, but he said it is tremendously relevant in this modern age. He said, if you're going anywhere in that season, you almost have to have a good off-season and because it's so competitive and the fitness levels are so high. So, yeah, it's an interesting point by Todd. And uh, can't leave Rugby League without uh, just a a note of caution about the Broncos losing Canberra. Bad loss uh, crash? I mean, does it pop a little bit of the uh, Broncos bubble or uh, just a bump along the road? Yeah, I think you're going to lose one eventually. And, And the Broncos... This did have Danger Game written on it, but we all thought they'd win anyway. But you could see it from the opening set of sixes. Canberra, they played that game, the Raiders, as if Ricky Stewart said, if you don't win this game, just don't even bother getting on the team bus. Just just stay up here in Queensland. You're done. Like, they were desperate where the Broncos sort of half expected it. You could see it from the first five minutes, couldn't you, Paul, in all, in all oh, the tackling? I, I, one team Absolutely. was... Fer- it reminded me a little bit of, of a Queensland team storming New South Wales in the last State of Origin game when they're the underdogs and they just decide, whatever it takes tonight, we're just winning. So, sorry, you, you, we're not going to let you win. And, and 
So it was a wake-up reminder call because this is what happened to the Broncos last year. They won six in a row and they just got a little bit comfortable with life and, 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 and expected it to happen. So I like their reaction after it, Paul. You know, blokes like Pat Carrigan saying, we just didn't deserve it. And Adam Reynolds saying, oh, not good enough. No, we got what we deserved. I'll be, I'm fascinated with how they bounce back against the Titans on Saturday night because that could be telling for their season. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, they haven't got a bad draw, the Bronx. Like, you know, when you think they get to play the Dolphins uh, an away game against the Dolphins at Suncorp Stadium and the Titans up here, you know, it, it's, you know, but, but you're right. This is the Titans' showpiece. They feel that they have been underestimated in the publicity stakes this season. They're going all right. They're midway up the table. Uh, but this is their chance to really surge to get some publicity and spotlight, which they believe they deserve. So let's see what they've got. Let's just see what they've got. And uh, Anthony Griffin, I mentioned earlier in the uh, show that uh, Adam O'Brien seemed a dead man walking at the start of the season with the Knights, but he's uh, they've had a year surprisingly bright start. But probably Anthony Griffin must be terribly difficult uh, coaching the Dragons with just uh, a sense of inevitability about his departure. Oh, yeah, and a story today in the Sydney Morning Herald from the very well-connected Michael Chamis just about Jason Riles' manager being asked by the Dragons, is he interested, by Des Hasler being asked, is he interested for next year? No no formal approach, but they're just trying to find out who, who's interested. Like, it's imagine working under those conditions of the coach. It's horrendous. And these weak clubs, they leak like sieves, don't they, to, to the media. Imagine Griffin reading that this morning after they had a narrow loss to the Titans. So I just can't see how he fights his way out of it. As we said last week, I, I love Ben Hunt's loyalty to him. He, you know, he's played under him for around about for the last decade on and off. And he's loyal to him. He likes him. He's trying his heart out for him. And that's quite rare in rugby league. It, it, and it's almost as if if the, if the Griffin goes down with their ship, uh, Ben Hunt will, will go down with it too. But uh, he looks gone, doesn't he? I mean, I can't see how you go from that position to a position of solidarity. When they ask you to reapply for your job, it's a terrible sign, Paul, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you, you usually it's just either a contract upgrade or we we part ways. Mm. We started talking about the uh, <clears throat> the Masters and John Rahm. He really was absolutely sensational yesterday. Crash. He, he was, and we look at him from the perspective. Terrific statue you released about him being the only European golfer to win the Masters in the U.S. Open. He's tough, you know. He's so tough and. He's different to the other Spanish golfers. I mean, Seve Ballesteros was more creative, wasn't he? But John might just be steadier, a steadier player. And he looks tougher than Sergio Garcia. And as someone else said, that uh, I think in Sports Illustrated, with the other Masters winner, Jose Maria Alafabal, he's probably just a better player than him. So John's only won the two, but he could well be the best golfer of his generation um, some beautiful stories about him. And, and I love that story about how he was born with a, with a clubbed foot and it, it dictated the path of his swing to being quite compact and powerful, but very direct. Like, like he, he's accurate off the tee, as you said, Paul. And that comes from this economical swing, which traces all the way back to his childhood and the club foot. So um, 
I love the theatre that the Live Guys brought to it. And, and, and the message of this Masters to me, Paul, was that, sure, it was run by the best golfer in the world. No, that's un- undisputed. He, he was fantastic. But to have three Live Golfers finishing in the top five and Mickelson and Ke- Kepka, they would have been in a playoff if there was no John Rahm. Imagine that, two Live Golfers fighting out for the title. Andrew and I have spoken about this this morning, though. It seemed as though there's no animosity between the players. There might be some behind the scenes between one or two, but by and large, they seem to get on very well. And the crowd appreciated everyone. They they did. And uh, particularly, I was interested in how they react to Mickelson because he was the flag bearer for Liv. And as we always say, pioneers are the ones who finish with spears in their backs, aren't they? And he certainly did. He He's lost all this weight through a special diet, but he still looks a haunted and hunted man. That was the first time we'd seen a lighter side of him since signing for Liv. That's the first time he looked relatively upbeat and happy with his sensational last round. But it just... They just add something to it. Sure, they're the men in black. You know, a, a lot of people don't like them, but that adds so much flavour. And when you take them out of it, gee, I reckon the PGA Tour, it looks like a bit of a dry biscuit without the live guys. I mean, these majors are just going to get bigger and bigger for the next few years, and then maybe on world rankings, the live guys just fade out of them. Question for both of you. Is that 18th fairway getting narrower and narrower over the years, Andrew? It used to be, it looked wider, I thought. It seems to get narrower every year. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it, it may well do because uh, the Masters organisers, they don't mind uh, planting extra trees. And when I say extra trees, not little saplings, they, they get the full Monty uh, <laughs> yeah. and put it in. So maybe they, they, need, they don't need to plant a bit deeper, though, yeah, next time. Yeah, maybe they've, they've lengthened that shoot of the 18th uh, uh, hit-off area. But, geez, it looks skinny crash, oh, doesn't it? It, it does. And I, I love the way that... A similar score seems to win every year, about 12 yeah, under, 13 score, under. It? it just says to me that the course is about right. Mm. That, that, that's that's a score where you, where it, it, it means the course doesn't give you birdies, but it can be conquered. And uh, and then you see guys like you know McElroy having five over. So no, it, it's it's beautifully done. Yeah, it is. And uh, Crash, uh, to move on to cricket, uh, Cricket Australia put out their contract list. Uh, any hints or pointers towards what the Ashes touring team may be in that yeah, list? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the obvious one is that Marcus Harris will go. I, I'm quite stunned by that. Just they have a great allegiance to uh, Marcus Harris and I haven't quite got to the bottom of it because in 14 tests he's averaged 25 and that's a lot of test matches. That's five series. I mean, Callum Ferguson got one test. Mm. Um, so he, he will be he will go to England. David Warner will go as well as part of a squad which will play the World Test Championship against India and the first two tests against England, and then they're going to revise the squad. Now, that's where it gets interesting for Warner. He, he will need to put something on the board early. He scored a couple of 50s in the IPL. They've been relatively slow 50s, but they're 50s. Um, and, and, and so I think he will, he will definitely go. Todd Murphy will go as the second spinner to England, um, and he won't play with Nathan Lyon. He'll only play if Lyon's out. But there's one more batting spot to they haven't sorted, and it'll either be Bancroft or Renshaw. I can't pick that one right now, but Renshaw did score a century for Australia yesterday, which says to me he might just get there. Mm. 
Could be a bit touch and go. Crasher, we're out of time. Love having you on the show, mate. We'll chat next week. Can't wait. See you then, guys.